0: 13. NIV is good?
1: NIV is good. That's fine.
0: Okay. Um, Samech. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Thank you. That is a reading from the Bible, Psalm 119. Samach. Samach. Okay, we are uh, right at the end of the year, aren't we? Today is the 20... Oh, it's obviously the 28th. It's my son's birthday. 36-year-old boy. So, uh, boy, did he get some abuse today. He, <laughs> wow, he really got it. Goodness gracious, we took him out and we just, uh, we took him to the uh, restaurant and uh, we had signs over him. You know, uh, I can't remember what they all say and then we told the uh, guy at the restaurant, be sure to abuse this kid. They did. They brought out little kid things and put them on him and they uh, uh, they uh, gave him a child's menu and some crayons. <laughs> 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 and then they came out all dressed like a, a something and steak. sang a him a steak and sang him a song. It was very, very cute. So, hello, Miss Garrett. Okay, let's see here. December 28th, uh, Vance Hovner once... La- Lo- Vance Havner once lamented that many churchgoers sit and yawn over truths for which their forefathers shed blood. Thus, the living faith of the dead has become the dead faith, faith of the living. Havner. Yes. Oh, Havner. Okay. It wasn't so for Charles Hodge, one of America's greatest theologians who was born on December 28, 1797. He studied the old and familiar scriptures with fresh excitement. 3,000 pastors prepared for ministry in his theology class at Princeton, and multitudes have benefited from his three-volume systematic theology. In a sermon once, Hodge warned his listeners against becoming bored with the Bible. Referring to Romans 3.29, does God belong only to the Jews? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is, Hodge said we are so familiar with the truth contained in these words that we do not appreciate its importance accustomed to the varied beauties of the earth we behold its manifold wonders without emotion we seldom even raise our eyes to look at the beauteous canopy of heaven which every night is spread out over our heads the blind however when suddenly restored to sight behold with ecstasy what we regard with indifference Thus, the truth that God is not a national God, not the God of any one tribe or people, but the God and Father of all men, and that the gospel is designed and adapted to all mankind, however little it may affect us, filled the apostles with astonishment and delight. They were slow in arriving at the knowledge of this truth. They had no clear perception of it until after the day of Pentecost the effusion of the Holy Spirit, which they received, produced a most remarkable change in their views and feelings. Before that event, they were Jews. Afterward, they were Christians. Ralph Waldo Emerson observed that if the constellations appeared only once in a thousand years, what an exciting event it would be. Because they are there every night, we barely even look. Don't lose the wonder, Gypsy Smith said. God's mercies are new every morning, and his word is fresh, every day you lord are all i want i praise you lord for being my guide even in the darkest night your teachings fill my mind with all my heart i will celebrate and i can safely rest you have shown me the path to life and you make me glad by my being near by being near to me sitting at your right hand i will always be joyful That's Psalm 16, verses 5, 7, 9, and 11. It's funny that they said that because I typed the Acts commentary, I think it was yesterday. I said almost exactly the same thing. I said, if the Bible is boring to you, it's because you are not imaginative. You know, when I'm reading Paul, and what got me thinking about it? Oh, they're going into Caesarea with Paul, 70 horsemen. They arrive at the uh, Governor Felix's, and I said, just imagine it while you're reading it. He's going in, and it would be like today, the president going by. There's a whole division of soldiers on horses in battle array, spears up, and they've got one guy, and they walk in there. I mean, there'd be pomp and circumstance, and everybody would be taking out their cameras and taking photos of him, you know? I don't know if any of the photos survived since that part of uh, the uh, uh, millennium, but uh, it's just amazing. You have to have the imagination when you're reading the word, and it never gets old. It never gets old if you are the one to insert yourself into it. And uh, this morning, the one I typed this morning, that's exactly what Luke does again and again. We've seen in the book of Acts, he writes with participles. Okay, having said this, he then, having said this, and so he's drawing you in, and then what he does, he changes it from an aorist participle to the present tense. So when Felix received the, the letter, he it says, having uh, come in and having handed him the letter uh, uh, Felix says, where, uh, he, he asked the question about his, uh, wh- what, um, uh, it, Sicilia, where he's from, uh, how did he word it? Um, but he goes to the present tense, which a lot of Bibles don't do that, which is unfortunate. You know, the King James Version is such a poor translation that they get, always get it wrong. But, um, uh, which is what I use to uh, do my comparisons on, but it's Acts 23, verse uh 34, maybe 35. What was it? Um, Right at the end of the uh, uh, 34. And when the governor had asked, had read it, he asked what province he was from. It doesn't say that. It says, what province is he? So it's present tense. So Luke is bringing you into the narrative, and if you're inserting yourself with him, it's as if you're standing there watching this going on. It's marvelous. Anyway, um, okay, what else do we have? We've read that, we've uh, read that, and we need to Uh, prayer requests Danielle I brought her up a couple weeks ago she has a tumor and they didn't know what to do if she doesn't get it fixed she can lose all of her uh, motion if she does get it fixed they could ruin her and she Danielle, is scheduled for brain surgery on 8 January it's going to be a very sensitive part of the uh, body she you know keep her in prayer because this is a very serious operation And uh, we want to uh, pray her through this. So that's 8 January, Danielle. Uh, Samantha is on a self-destructive path. You know, this is something uh, her mother uh, said to me, and and people will hold this against the doctrine. I'll explain in a second. this girl is on a self-destructive path. She feels secure in her salvation and is not responding to life in a manner that is acceptable to her salvation. Okay, people will say, see, Uh, that's the doctrine of demons is once saved, always saved, because uh, this is what it does to people. No, people do those things to themselves. They equate a doctrine with somebody that does not hold fast to the Lord. But that happens right in the Bible, and Paul never questions their salvation. So just because somebody is not doing what the Bible says after salvation, it does not negate the doctrine that the Bible teaches about salvation. Everybody see that? The Bible teaches eternal salvation. It also teaches us to live in a manner in accord with our salvation, to live a holy life, to read your Bible, to live out your life as if you were saved, okay? Just because somebody doesn't do that does not mean that person isn't saved, but we want to keep her in prayer because she is the one that's going to suffer in her salvation, and she's the one that's going to have to stand before the Lord and either get rewards or losses for her life. And so we want to uh, keep her in prayer. I wasn't sure if I was too high. I feel like I'm on top of the uh, on top of the world, which is, uh, what what's her name? Uh, Carpenter. What was her name? Uh, Karen Carpenter. Ka- yeah, Karen Carpenter. She was on top of the world. So um, I guess those are the only two prayer requests. Oh, Becky and uh, Mark are still clinging uh, in uh, uh, Colorado. They're still sick. They've just had a miserable year, and it just goes on i was thinking about this you know some people just go through life and they're always healthy you just never see them sick and then you get people like me that are always on the verge of being sick always and then you get people that are always sick and on the verge of getting well and you know the lord has given us all our own burden to carry but i feel so bad for mark and becky this past year and a half because they've been on the verge of getting well over a year now and they keep something else comes along so I, I, but me, I get myself right. To, I push myself right to the end of it, and then I feel it coming on, and I take a bunch of vitamins, and I hope that works. And oh, Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your many mercies. Thank you for your blessings. Uh, we lift those two up. Uh, the surgery that's coming up soon, also our friend Steve has got a personal issue in his life that is really debilitating, so we want to lift him up as well and just pray that that... Uh, Uh, That will be handled in a manner that will uh, just give him rest in his uh, his, In his life very difficult Uh, We just thank you for the chance to come into uh, your presence and ask these things Uh, we've got lots of missionaries out there Lord that uh, uh, We're trying to care for and trying to tend to and we lift each one of them up right now praying that your hand will be with them and help them through whatever they're going through in their own little ministries around the world And uh, we just pray that you will sustain them and uh, even prosper them so that they can be effective in sharing the gospel, assisting those that they're with and just being a a blessing to the people that they are ministering to. Give them that strength, Lord. It's not always easy in the positions they're in, but we lift them up. And we also ask that your hand would be upon this class and that uh, uh, we're just so thankful for your word. It is so precious to be in your word and to just see what God is doing. And so we thank you. We thank you and we praise you for it, and especially because it reveals to us Jesus, who we're desperately waiting for his return. But until that day, help us to just keep living out our lives in accord with the salvation you have provided. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: I read today, Charlie, 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are God's fellow
1: Workers. workers, absolutely, fellow workers. Fellow workers. With God. Think about it. Yeah, He's, with He's trusted us. us. Yes. I mean, that's that's just amazing. Yes. That that's an amazing thought. Fellow workers with God, unbelievable. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, uh, just had something in my head, and now it's gone. So we're in three eleven. Yeah, but start wherever you yeah, want.
0: Yeah, I'll start with six. I figured that's be a good. That's uh, important. Okay, so. 2 Thessalonians 3, starting 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. Mm. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Mm. And here comes verse 11. This is it. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. That's
1: close. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all. But are busybodies. so to walk is how you conduct your life it's your mode of life and so paul is saying that there are people that are not doing according to that he just got done saying that if you don't work you don't eat and uh, you know somebody actually emailed me a very good friend of mine and he was worried about that and he is physically incapable of working and he said how do i handle that in my life and i said you you cannot expect that apply to you that's Applying to people that simply are not willing to get up and get to work. But if you've got something that hinders you from working, you should never feel ever about, uh, you know, accepting help, accepting, uh, you know, your family to take care. As a matter of fact, what does it say about um, not helping your family when Paul writes to Timothy? Worse than than an unbeliever. That's right. I mean, that is the job of the family is to take care of the family members, especially if they're in Christ. But it's your job uh, to do that. And so uh, uh, I wonder if this will shut up. I don't think it will. I'll keep getting those. uh, Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I just, uh, it goes bing all the time during class and then I, you lose your train of thought. But, oh, you know, before I analyze the verse, I'm going to thank Arlene for this. I don't know if you uh, have ever seen the uh, cover of the book, The Godfather's it Got the Hand with the uh, strings holding up the name Godfather. Well, I'm the grandfather and I got little toys to hold up for a grandchild, so that's kind of cute. <laughs> she sent me the shirt too. Oh, come here. Yeah, like she, she sent us a, this is a, a friend of ours. She's been tending to us for years and years and years and uh, she got her a little chihuahua shirt. Can they see it? Yeah. Yeah. They, okay, good. Very, oh, very cute. Yeah. All right. Mm, best wife in the world, times a billion. Um, okay. So, uh, okay. Um, analyzing verse 311. So don't worry if you are incapable of working. And, you know, I got a friend, uh, I won't say his name because I don't want to embarrass him, but he's he's in bed. That's it. He he is in bed. He can't get out and he uh, people have to tend to it. You know, now that to me is a tough life. That is a tough life, but he's happy every time he emails, and uh, uh, you know he's got a positive attitude, and he's uh, it, the Lord is sending people to take care of him. So you know I, you should never feel like you uh, have to carry the weight of the world if you cannot do it. Um, I was at the Thai restaurant. I stopped by to wish them all a happy birthday after we got done today, and um, uh, I uh, one of the ladies. A friend just happened to be visiting that I haven't seen her in about a year and she she says I'm just 65 and I'm just worn out mm-hmm. and I said you know every day I find I can do less I'm how old am I I'm uh, 59 and every day I find I can do less I, I sometimes I think can I keep doing this part-time job I, I don't know if I can even do it so uh, but it just you do what you can and you can't carry the weight of the world so um, okay 311 uh, uh, the words, for we hear, this is Paul saying, for we hear that this is going on, they're an indication that some were at the church in Thessalonica and they were personal witnesses of those who were being lazy and sponging off of others. They see this. There was probably the carriers of his first letter back to the church. They took the letter and had a visit. Probably a bit horrified that those who had accepted Paul's gospel presentation and instruction We're already departing from it and receiving false words from others. The source may have been someone from the church itself as well, dispatched to get Paul's thoughts on what was going on. Either way, he has been giving direction, instruction, and correction based on this saddening news, which is that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Okay, go right back to the lady that I was uh, mentioning for prayer. She needs prayer. She's not living in accord with her salvation. We got an example of it right here. Paul is given the instruction. You are to do these things. Has Paul said these people are no longer saved? He doesn't even hint at it. In fact, he's just the opposite. He is arguing that they are saved and that they need to live according to their salvation. So this entire debate about whether salvation is eternal because people walk away from the Lord is ridiculous. That is their choice if they want to stand before the Lord who has saved them and face a loss of rewards for throwing away their lives, that is what's going to happen. But that does not mean that they have lost their salvation, nor is it ever, ever implied in scripture. It's not even hinted at. There's no verse that you will find in scripture that hints at somebody losing their salvation. I understand there are verses in the book of Hebrews that are very complicated. And there, there can easily be thought to indicate a loss of salvation. But the main thing to remember about the book of Hebrews, without getting into the details of uh, what it actually says as far as those verses, is who is he writing to? Jew. He's writing to the Jews, but more he's writing to the Jewish people, not individual Jews. He's writing to them as a collective group of people, Okay. And so that is the mindset that is being presented to them in that church, okay? And he gives a lot of hypothetical situations, and he says, this is what you can expect, and this is what they've gone through now for 3,500 years. It is not saying in any way, shape, or form that you can lose your salvation. But don't go cramming yourself in the book of Hebrews anyway. There are truths in Hebrews that pertain to us, such as Jesus is the high priest, is that true of Gentiles as well as Jews? Absolutely, he is our high priest, he mediates for us. What happened in the Old Testament, all of the things that the priest did was types and pictures of what Christ would do for his people. As this said, this commentary here, not just Jews, but for Gentiles. That guy got it, that the Lord is the Lord of all people. He is the Lord who mediates for all people, he's the Lord that shed his blood for all people, so he is all people's atoning sacrifice, etc. So you don't want to take that thought too far and then suddenly say, well, that, that's Jewish and it doesn't pertain to you at all. The truths pertain to everybody. The words of doctrine that are being expressed in Hebrews pertain to the Jewish people, okay? Uh, if you look at it, you'll see that it's the, the plurals all the time are being used in there. He's speaking in a manner of... Of the nation of Israel okay so um, and that's just a very short thing on a very big and complicated book okay Hebrews is a great 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 book of the Bible it's matter of fact it's one of my 66 favorite books of the Bible Um, okay so um, he said there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner hasn't questioned their salvation he's just saying these people are not living with in accord with the instructions that he has already given He's already instructed the church that members were to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Okay, that was uh, verse 3-6. All right, now he shows that this wasn't just an arbitrary statement of instruction, but a preparation for specific accusation, which he is now giving. These people don't work, they don't eat. And he's saying these people are not walking in an orderly manner. Okay, they're disorderly. Here's what we're going to do about it. He's giving them specific instruction. Those who are disorderly, and they were already there in the church, were to be withdrawn from. Get yourself away from them, not because they've lost their salvation, but to shame them. To say, you are not living in accord with your salvation. You're not working hard. You're not earning money. You're not doing the things that are responsible for your wife, for your children, for your father, whatever. Okay, if you're just going to sit around and, uh, what was it that they had back in Paul's time? It was PlayStation 2? Was that what it was? That's all they were doing. They were on PlayStation 2. They weren't, you know, so whatever. Anyway, uh, Sergio's like, I don't think so. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I, I was at lunch with somebody today. Do you remember? What was, you or you will remember this. Rick may remember this. Tom will remember it. You will too, because we're all kind of. Uh, what was the one thing that you thought was coolest about Dick Tracy? his watch. He said it too. Remember Dick Tracy? And when you were a kid about that age, that was the coolest thing in the world. This guy had a watch and he could talk into it. I'm sitting at lunch with a goof off today and he's talking to his wife two feet away from him in his watch. And then he walks away and he's talking to his wife. And I said, that is the cool, I told you, if you, Dick Tracy, didn't, there, there you go. (laughs) Didn't I tell you that they would say watch? That was the defining trait of Dick Tracy, was this unbelievable watch that nobody would ever have one in the history of humanity. And here we have them like that. So Paul's PlayStation 2 was nothing compared to that watch. I'll tell you that, buddy. Anyway. Don't disturb the class, we're
0: in class. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So uh, yeah, these people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Whatever it is they're doing, they're not doing it. Paul has just had enough of it. He wants to get them away from there. And uh, this verse here takes us back to what he said in chapter two. Here they were repeating false doctrines, which had been received from unreliable sources, and they were spreading them around like a growing virus. Now remember, what was the purpose of this letter? Don't you remember I told you these things? And how did he say, if somebody comes to you with a letter or epistle or something supposedly from us, don't listen to these people. We have given you the instruction. It's not ever going to change. This is the way it is. And he gives us the timeline and he tells us exactly what the end times are going to be like. If you don't remember, if you weren't here for that study, just go back to the two Thessalonians, two studies, and I put it all on the board. Exactly the timing of the end time events. Not the time of the rapture, but the timing of the end time events. When is the Antichrist going to be revealed? When is the day of Christ? When is the rapture? What is the sequence? He has given it to us. We don't need to be taken astray by people that come up with false doctrines. With, you know, Jesus is coming next week and so what is everybody doing? They're sitting around twiddling their thumbs and saying, I'm not going to work this week, right? As I was talking to somebody recently is that's what the Millerites did. You know, they became the Seventh-day Adventists. But they went, sat in their house, and they said, the Lord's coming today and they're all sitting around, nothing happened, right? They're supposed to be out there telling people about Jesus, not sitting in their house waiting for the Lord to pop them out of here, okay? But this is the false doctrines that literally permeate the church right now, is people telling people about the rapture coming on this day or people telling people that the day of the Lord has come. We've entered the tribulation period. These people are liars. They've made something up out of their own heads and they are not doing you any service. So why are you watching their videos? I don't get it, but you know what? Paul said, don't give these people an ear. Don't listen to them. All right? Uh, the way to end this was to end any contact with them. Now we can just turn off YouTube and say, oh, I'm not listening to that person again. But, you know, there's the lady that sent me this. She gets onto rapture boards and she checks to see what people are doing. I couldn't do it. I, I'd be so mad that I just, you know, but she just finds you. There is one lady, she says, that has been following another lady. And this lady just keeps pe- stringing people along. And then this poor lady is sending these messages on YouTube saying, you know what, I've, I've uh, lost my house, but uh, I still wanna to tend to your ministry and I'm living in my son's basement. Finally, the son got on there and he posted for her cause she couldn't, she'd lost everything. And he says, uh, some Christian, he was, he set exactly the message that his mother told him to, but he put quotes around things just so that he got his intonation in there. This lady had thrown away everything. It was still believing the lies of somebody that had been stringing her along, stringing her along. There's just no discernment in people. And the reason why there's no discernment is because they don't take the time to read this. If you read this and if you pay attention to what it says, you will not be led astray by false people. It's not going to happen. But if you're not willing to read it, it's you're the one that will suffer. When you go onto YouTube and say, Well, I saw this, and has no basis in reality at all in accordance with this but okay While most in the church were being productive not talking about people that can't be okay the people that were being productive living their lives out in a sound and reasonable manner these sensationalists were not working at all that's paul's words we're not working at all and you know that this is the context of what he is saying i'm not making this up when i say these people on youtube this is exactly what paul said in the previous chapter These people have given these revelations, supposed revelations. Nothing has changed all this time later. They're still doing it and people are still listening to them all this time later. They're being duped by these people for whatever reason. Some people just, you know, some people just wanna have fun and they make stuff up and they do YouTube videos just to confuse people. That is their purpose in life is to confuse people. And they find that fun, right? Um, Sergio and I are often uh, talking you know, playing banter back and forth about starting a YouTube video Mm -hmm. with no names and just making up something about Nephilim or something. We'd be getting millions of views, literally. And we're making up stories between each other. Well, if we say this, that'll, you know, we wouldn't do this, but we could. And we know the outcome of it. We know the outcome is that after a very short amount of time, we are going to have literally hundreds of thousands of views a week. And then finally come out and say, we've been making all this up, right? just to get people to learn. This is what happens when you listen to nonsense. But one, we wouldn't have the, the, in, you know, the internal structure to do that even once, to deceive people. But secondly, um, uh, I, what I've told him this, is that after we came out and we said, everything that we put out here is a lie, you know what people would do? They'd still believe it. It's just like Flat Earth. People are making stuff up about Flat Earth. Right? But we can do like Babylon B, but for theology. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> if we could do that, but then it wouldn't be as popular because it's, it's fun instead yeah. of, you know, but that's true. It, we could do that with the, uh, like the, the, what's his name, the Calvinist guy that, uh, anyway, he kind of does some fun stuff too, but um, we could do it just to teach people a lesson, but I don't have the gumption in me to actually do it. Um, uh, while most people in the church were being productive, these people were not working at all. Instead they were, Paul's words, busybodies. In the Greek, there is a play on words which is wholly lacking in the English translation. The word working is ergazomai. The word busybodies is para ergazomai. okay? It is used only here in the Bible, and it is a superlative word. Peri means all around, and so one gets the idea of working all around and thus meddling. They're just here, they're here, they're here, they're meddling. And I will say this, I've said this before. And you'll remember when I said it, I said it about King James only people, but these people here won't work, right? That's what Paul says, they're not going to work, they're not productive in their busybodies. I guarantee you that those people that Paul is speaking about get less sleep and work harder at doing nothing than people that just actually get out and go to work. I guarantee it, they're, they're expending their lives, wasting their lives. And my example of the King James only people is that I know people, that spend hours and hours defending the indefensible with the King James Version. They do it constantly, and yet they don't know the Bible at all. They have not read the Bible, and when they do, it's in an ancient English language that's indiscernible to most people. If you wanna know how indiscernible the King James Version is, what I'd like you to do is just type in rare words of the King James Version, and somebody's compiled all of them, and just go through, and read them. They're indiscernible. There's words in there that you have absolutely no idea what they mean at all, none. And I was surprised just, I went to B, I think. And there were like 35 of them. And I out of those 35, there were probably 15 or 18 that I had no idea. I couldn't have told you what that meant at all. Couldn't have told you. And that's only B, you got C, D, E. Anyway, but there are people out there that are defending the indefensible and they're spending hours and hours and hours doing it when they don't know the Bible. They don't know the core doctrines of the Bible, they don't know why they believe what they believe, but they spend an inordinate amount of their life doing this instead of just getting to work and whatever, That's this is what people do. Instead of doing what should be done, these busybodies, they had their noses in the work of everyone else, fixating on what they were up to. In this, one can almost see then what they would do next. Gee, you're too busy to make a living. Don't you know the day of the Lord has come or the rapture is going to happen on 23 September? Don't you know that? Why are you wasting your time? But seeing as how you have your wages coming in, why don't you give me a bit for lunch? Because they don't have any money to buy their own lunch because they're sitting around doing nothing. Okay? Whatever attitude was demonstrated in these people, It included a theological misunderstanding or intense falsification of the sequence of events concerning the return of Christ and the tribulation period. That is where 90% of the bad doctrine among these people rests in those two thoughts. When is the day of Christ? When is the rapture? When is the return of the Lord? They spend their entire life consumed with this, and as I said, she sends me once or twice a month, maybe a couple times every week, whatever. She just sends, whenever she goes to one of these sites, she sends me the most incredibly stupid things that people decide. And I'll tell you one thing, it is always based on them. In other words, the Lord is determining the rapture based on that person's situation. I had a dream or i uh, I you know I, I went to a store and I uh, counted twenty three things on the wall, and that's a sign. It's always based on something that came from them or is pertaining to them. The Lord is focusing his return on that person. Always. it's just insane. It, it, again and again, she sends me these things, and I'm like, what is wrong with these people that the whole world revolves around them? All of creation and everything God has ever done is centered on them. But that's the attitude. Anyway, um, whatever attitude was demonstrated in these people, it's a theological misunderstanding or false, uh, falsification of the sequence of events concerning the return of Christ and the tribulation period. In their mishandling of what was to occur, they were not being productive. And they were leeching off of those who were. And doesn't this sound just like the rapture date setters of today? I typed this eight years ago, whatever Jim has it written down. But whenever I type this, it's the exact same thing and the same people eight years later doing exactly every single day. They get up and that's all they think about is, you know, a a deer ran in front of my car today. And so that means the rapture is going to happen at 12 o'clock tomorrow. I mean, it's unbelievable. But but that's how crazy they are. Things just like that. I was asking for a site, and all of a sudden, a deer ran in front of my car. That confirms it to me. They put out video after video, monetizing those videos, robbing people of their time, which would otherwise be spent more productively, and leading those uninformed in Scripture down unsound paths of doctrine. And with the link to the donate button, they rake it in at the expense of people who are too unclear in their own lives and doctrine to see that they are being duped. Just like that lady that she said, she, she follows this old lady and says, you know, I just, I feel so bad for her. But that's all she does is she's consumed with this person that's sitting there lying on YouTube, just making stuff up. Anyway, um, Paul has, the he has set the timeline of events in his writings, but because people are unwilling to study the word, they get caught up in the false teachings of these people who should otherwise be as Paul commands stayed away from. How sad it is that people won't take the time to simply learn the Bible. In this they will stop speculating and they will learn to devote their time, work, and resources to produce uh, to productive things. Rapture, shmapture. It will happen when it happens and so we can cherish the thought in our heart without becoming duped into false hopes by these abhorrent people, okay? Talking about the Bible. I said this on Sunday. I'm gonna say it again now, just in case uh, you forgot that I made this challenge to you and you've only got two days to, uh, two and a half days to uh, check it out. But you know, Sergio's right. He'll send me something about the Bible. and be like, yeah, and he's all excited about it because that's his focus in life at that moment. And I'll have something that just, Excites me to death, and I'll send it to him, and he'll be like yawning. That was so boring, Charlie. Anyway, um, uh, Sunday sermon is Judges six one uh, Judges six one through twelve. Okay, uh, and I challenged you, just in case you don't watch. You know, you just watch the the sermon and stop after that because we do the communion, and I always say things like this after communion. But in Judges six, what I want you to do, and don't email me if you have something in your head because. Uh, that, you know, when people do that, then uh, I have to expend time that I wouldn't otherwise have to expend telling them that I'm not going to look at that because I know what I am typed on Sunday and it's not going to change. Okay, so if I just want to know if you, I'm challenging you in yourself, not to answer me, but in yourself to tell me what these verses might be pointing to. And I I, I don't want to say any more. I will say something on Sunday uh, to remind you, and then some people have a light bulb come on over their head about something I said a couple weeks ago. But let's just go through them very quickly. It's uh, it's 1 through 10. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts both they and their camels without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Okay, just think about, see if you can kind of get an idea of what's going on and why that is being presented before we enter into Gideon. Now, I type the 10th Gideon sermon Monday. I'm sure it was a tenth. Maybe it was a ninth and the one after that is the tenth. Anyway, so I'm nine sermons ahead. And it was so funny because I just started evaluating this sermon last Friday or something. The last Gideon sermon, which is not the last Gideon sermon to go. I think I might have two more. But uh, the last one I typed on Monday is like a bookend to what I just read you. I was so astonished because I came to a conclusion in Judges 6, 1 through 10 that was actually realized, and I didn't know it until after I read this sermon for this week, okay? It's great. It's great how things are being presented, so. uh,
0: It's such a great challenge, because you I always speak about that, like when you find something, when you're presenting the sermon, you're teaching on it, and you're so excited, and you go, this is so incredible, and when I hear it, I was like, yeah, it sounds incredible, but for some reason, it doesn't sink into the soul. It's like, you hear it, you understand it, but only when I go and look for myself, and I start reading it, and I go, oh, oh. now it clicks, because it's almost like, I'm spending time with the lord versus i'm hearing it from someone else and yeah. there's something different about it that's why when you do this challenge i was like oh, this this is amazing just just people get it. that experience they get to be as excited as you are when they because
1: you have those fresh in your mind now and yeah. you and he said that about rhoda too he said that rhoda always gets excited afterward when she's studying her on her own with maybe my sermons yeah. or whatever yeah. and she's like look at this so that's my challenge is to read that and to just think why is that presented and then if you want, which it's a long, I got to tell you, I'm up in uh, Judges 8. And so it's it's a long time. But if you read that, first that introduction, which doesn't name Gideon, and then you read Gideon. Maybe you can figure out what, what the Lord, why is the Lord doing this? Okay, but at least those 10 verses, go home and think about it. Read it again, maybe play it a couple times and listen to it. And that goes on with what I was saying about, one, being excited about the word because you are putting yourself into the text. And I'm not talking about inserting your theology into it. I'm talking about you. I'm standing there watching Midian come in like locusts and they're taking all the food. Put yourself into there like you're, you're watching it and it helps you to un- unpackage what is being said. But these people that Paul is speaking to are not doing that. They're just making stuff up. They're not learning the Bible. They're not trying to figure out what the Lord is telling us from Scripture. And that's what came to mind there is, is this coming Sunday sermon. It To me, I was so excited because I'd forgotten that i typed it. You know, I just type these things and I go on. And so I'm not thinking. But when I typed the sermon on Monday, it I realized afterward that this fits like a bookend to what it says in Judges 6 and everything in there. It's it's just what a great series of sermons. I'm not talking about my content. I'm talking about the content in the Bible. It's just such an interesting set of passages with Gideon. And to tell you, you know, you say, well, I love when people say, well, gee, Charlie really knows what's going on in the Bible. I had no idea what was going on in those verses until I did the study. And on Monday, Hidako will tell you this, so you, you know I'm not lying. Monday, I started at 3:30, and I was still typing that sermon at 4:40, wasn't I? I was I, I, finally I finished up. I had another hour or so of work to do. I sat down and ate, and I do not remember lying down. I don't even remember going to bed. I was so tired, but I was so excited. I went back and I reread it the next day just because I wanted to see what I had typed, and I was like, "This is great." It's great. I'm not talking about my sermon. I'm talking about the contents of the Bible. Okay. You know, anyway, um, get something out of the word. Enjoy it when you're reading it. And Lord, why are you telling us these things? There's so much intricacy in here. Every single word has meaning. Wow. Okay. Life application. Still watching videos and reading commentaries about a particular date for the rapture? Try reading your Bible instead. Okay, 3.12. Such people, we
0: command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat.
1: Okay, uh, that was 12, right? Yeah. Completely different. Oh. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread.
0: Yeah, that's the version I'm familiar with. That's New King yeah. James. This was NIV.
1: Yeah, and that's why we read Very that. that text that they use is the Alexandrian, and this is the Byzantine tradition. Like and so, is what? In this case, I like yours better. Oh, yeah, it's, it's way better, way better. So, But sometimes the NIV will have things in there that are, you know, so you, you need to be aware of what's going on in these different texts and why some of those things are recorded, why it's missing from this text. And in the end, you'll pretty much be certain that this happened because of a scribal error or this happened because... Uh, we call them footnotes nowadays, but uh, Bibles in the past, they call them margin notes, okay? And like, we'll say, I'm a translator on the Geneva Bible, okay? And they'll say, somebody will give an opinion over here about this particular verse. And what happens is, and we know that this has happened over the past, people have just been able to deduce this by going back through all these texts, is you got a person writing the, the Greek text out and he makes a margin note, Okay somebody comes along and they're translating this text into a more presentable text, we'll say, and they accidentally take the margin note and they put it into the text. And so we know when that happens or when somebody takes something that should be in the text and they set it over here for whatever reason and it gets lost like in that one, okay? So don't feel like the word isn't sure, We know what happened when it happened 99.99% of the times. In the times that we don't know why it happened, we still know that it happened, okay? So don't feel like the word is not sure. It is, trust me on this. Listen, when I, this is just an example. I was thinking of this myself today and so this will help you if you're struggling with the word. I am in Judges, okay? And I'm typing these sermons. I better not say because I don't want to give away Sunday sermon. But uh, trust me on this. Just trust me that when I do typology, I do not just say, "Well, I think that pictures Israel," and write up a commentary and say, "Oh, i will say this." You know, and you'll see that you'll read a lot of commentaries where Samson pictures Israel, and this and it has no basis in reality. It doesn't match anything the Lord is doing there. They just make something up. Okay, um, uh, when you see what is going on especially, like if you go to the uh, Joshua, this is a great example, the Joshua, early Joshua sermons, four and five, uh, where there are uh, three, four, and five they go across the Jordan. Listen, I knew long before we got to Joshua what was going to happen in there. I didn't know what the, the texts were going to reveal, but I knew that Moses had to die outside of Israel on the uh, east side of Jordan. Why? Do you remember why? Why did Moses have to die outside of Israel? He represents the law. He represents the law. There's no entry for the law into Israel. Got that? Or into salvation. Going through the Jordan is going through Christ, the Jordan is the descender. He is the one that descended. I took you through all the symbolism of the Jordan. Starts in Mount Hermon. It's got three peaks. It's uh, the snowy area. It's pure snow all year long. Okay, comes down. It starts in a certain area. It winds through Israel. It goes to the Dead Sea. It doesn't go anywhere else. It goes back up into the air. It's a picture of Christ's incarnation. And then it's suddenly cut off at one point, and Israel goes through it. A picture of their salvation going through Christ in his death. Okay, it's all very clear. I didn't know those things until I did the sermons. But it was evident that if Israel is going to come to salvation, they're going to do it apart from the law. And that's what all of the Joshua sermons showed. It showed the killing of the the three kings. It showed the killing of the king of Ai. All of them had representation of the law. That's not made up. If there is something in there that I say, I'm not sure about this, what do I say in the sermon? I'm not sure about this, and that's not often, but there are times where I don't know and I'm not going to make something up, okay? But if you go back and you look at what's going on in Joshua, and the same thing is happening right now in Judges, there is no way, especially with passages that I had no idea about until I actually studied each and every individual word, until I did that. He had to help me with one of them uh, a day ago, it was a name of a person because there's two possible uh, roots that it comes from. And the one root that most people hold to, it just didn't make any sense. And I said, Sergio, this concordance says that this word comes from here, but there is a, 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 a particle added on to the end of the word, and I don't know what that particle is. If it doesn't have any meaning, then I can't use it does this have any meaning? He came right back and remember that when I asked him? Okay, don't say it though. But uh, it, it, it he said, that yes, that means this. Everything fell into place after that. Otherwise, I would have in that sermon said, I have no idea what this is presenting. But that one word made all of the difference in what is being presented with this particular part of a battle in the book of Gideon. Now that's not by chance. That's because the Lord has put that in his word, right? Okay. The point is that these people are not studying the word we need to study the word okay once again i had uh, i think two people in the past week that asked for your commentaries wasn't it two I think. okay you know i'll say it again if you want good word studies burke does them ask him for his email ask him uh, to be put on his list and he will and they're just short word studies that will draw out you know, a particular word that... And if you don't want to read it about that word, then don't read it. You're not obligated to read it. But when he sends it to you about the word faith and you say, I want to see what the Bible has to say about faith, he's got great examples all laid out for you. So, um, uh, you're not obligated to look at everything I send out. I'll be offended if you don't, but no, I'm kidding. Anyway, um, uh, but yeah, you just... If you want to learn something, don't learn it from people on YouTube that make stuff up out of their head. That's the point I'm making, all right? Um, Okay, 312, we read that um, and now we're going to go ahead and analyze it. It is of note that Paul uses the word translated as command a total of 12 times in all of his letters. And yet four, one-third of the word command of them are in the book of two Thessalonians, which is this big, it's only three chapters long. Four times, one-third of the times he uses the word command. And all four are in this chapter. He's had enough of these people. He's had to re-explain an entire doctrine of theology that he already explained to him in a second letter, and he knows why he's having to do this, and so he is giving these words in his third uh, chapter of this epistle, and he's using it with direct commands. I command, command, command. Okay, he's fed up with these people, all right? And I get the same thing. When people send me this nonsense, I get fed up with them because I, I, I'm like, don't you understand what you're doing is unhealthy? It's not proper for you. But they just, it's like Jesus uses a couple of metaphors. One of them is the pig, one of them is the dog. Pig goes back to its wallow, the dog goes back to its vomit. They just keep doing the same thing. It, it, they're not willing to learn. Okay? Uh, and, and this, Paul is, he, he's overwhelmed by this. He's just upset that he has to explain these things, and so he's going through it, and you can see just how direct he is. Um, It is therefore a clear indication that he is not just a little bit miffed about the attitude of those sponging off of others in the church, but he is highly upset about it when people are not willing to just simply knuckle down and read the Bible. Now, I will say this, okay? I wanna thank the first century Christians at the time of Paul, that didn't listen to Paul the first time. I want to thank them personally someday. Why? Because Paul had to write it a second time, and we got the letter. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had any idea that he said these things to them, because he doesn't address it in the first epistle. So I'm going to say, your laziness paid off for me, buddy. You're a disgrace. But at least we got to know what Paul had told the people in Thessalonica face to face. Right, so something good came out of bad, but it's anyway, like,
0: yeah, like something good comes out of bad, but they don't get the
1: credit. No, they credit. don't get any credit for it. <laughs> but I, when I say I, I'm going <laughs> to be, I'm going to be poking them when I say it. Not credit, credit. That that was a poke, yeah. Which I'm very good at poking people. If you might not know that personally, but I'm very good at poking people. Anyway, um, let's see here. Um, he's very upset about it. These the forerunners of the rapture date setters are inter, uninterested in hard work and sound doctrine. That's the last thing in the world they want to do. And as I said, they will expend more time and more energy making junk up than they would if they just read the Bible. They're not willing to do it, okay? So, uh, they're uninterested in hard work and sound doctrine. They are an annoyance to the body. Each time they believe someone who says, the day of the Lord has come, and then pass it on to others, they cause harm. Each time they say the rapture will be on this day because they cause people to stop their productive lives and to hope on that which is not based on any type of reality. Zero. Paul had already told the church the things he knows of concerning the end times when he was with them. That is recorded in verse 2, 5. And then he repeated that in this letter. No word from the Lord will come along and change these things. No special insights into when these things will occur will ever be forthcoming. It's not going to happen, thus contradicting Paul's words of this letter. He says we're not going to know, and then the Lord comes and tells somebody in uh, uh, Minnesota that has a YouTube channel, that means that the word is a lie, that what Paul recorded is untrue. That's what that means. You're bringing the Bible into question when you make that stuff up, but people would rather watch that, so Uh, Therefore, it is a waste of time and energy to focus on them. Instead, he directs his words to this particular group saying, now those who are such. He's addressed the type of people. Now he's talking to them. Now those who are such. It is those who are not willing to work, but are spending all of their time being unproductive and passing on unsound theology that he is writing to. I'm writing this to you now. I want you to pay attention to me. I want you to listen to me. Instead of living productive lives, They sponge off of those who do and sway them with words that have no basis in authoritative words of the apostles. Today, those words, thank you, of the apostles, which have been recorded and saved, are a portion of the Bible. That is where our doctrine comes from. That is it, the Bible, okay? It is to these that he says we command and exhort. As I said, he says command four times in this chapter, and he says a total of 12 in all of his letters. So uh, one third of the times is right here in this chapter. A command is a directive. You are to do this thing. The words require attention and action. However, he immediately follows up with, with the words and exhort in order to lessen the, change, the chance of angry rebellion by those he is commanding. Okay, we command and we exhort. He's kind of lessening it to the point where I expect you to do this, but at the same time, I encourage you to do this, all right? That way they don't just get up in a huff and leave and never come back to the church. He doesn't want that, but he wants them to at least learn that they have to pay attention to his words. And if people would read 2 Thessalonians and simply think through what Paul is saying, then they would say, I'm not going to do this anymore. But as I said, we got a couple of metaphors right from the Lord that explain how these people are. They keep going back and they keep doing the same thing again and again, unwilling to step out and to say what I'm doing is not correct, okay? So these are, after all, date setters who are easily miffed over being told their doctrine is unsound. Thus the word exhort is given as a friendly, hopeful way of getting them to take the command, his command in a positive way instead of stomping off in an angry huff. He's trying to be, you know, political about this at the same time as being very direct. You're not to do these things. I command you not to do these things, and I exhort you, please, learn your Bible. Study your Bible. Read it. Take it to heart. You know, and like I said, not your. don't insert your thinking into the Bible. Don't insert your theology into the Bible, but insert yourself into the Bible when you're reading it. You know, when Jesus is... Uh, Healing somebody, you want to be like I'm standing there watching it, right? I'm listening on the uh, the uh, uh, Mark right now on the uh, my my car. I've been listening to Matthew and Mark in the past couple days, and here's Jesus out in the fields, right? And he's got the uh, apostles, the disciples with him, and uh, he says, you know, do you have any food? These people haven't eaten for two days, and if I send them away, they're gonna faint on the way home, right? So, all we have is uh, five fish and, or yeah, five loaves of bread and a couple small fish, right? Put yourself in there. What would it be like if you're standing there and this is all the food that you see in front of them, okay? And all of a sudden, they're handing out tons of food. It says 5,000 people in one account and 4,000 in another, and right? Different. What? But that's what I was just going to say men. That means there's at least 15,000. If there's a woman with every man and there's two or three kids, there's more than 15,000. Okay. You're talking about a truckload of food, (laughs) literally more than that. I, I mean, you're talking about thousands of pounds of food that just suddenly appeared out of the middle of nowhere. And the whole point of that, not the whole point, that's just, he's making a lesson. He's teaching us something about Jewish salvation and Gentile salvation in those examples. But the point that he comes to is just uh, you, you turn the page. Well, it depends on what Bible you're reading, but you know, we'll just say you turn the page, and what happens? They're in the boat, and they're talking to each other, and he says, "Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. yeah." Pharisees. And they say, "What did they? What was your response to each other?" Something about the bread that uh, he's mad that we don't have bread, bread yeah. right? He's he says, "Don't you understand? I just fed." you know, thousands of people, tons of food. It's not bread that I'm worried about. I'm talking about the leaven of these people. Oh, oh, they have to go back and they got to search their mind and say leaven. That's right in our culture. No leaven at Passover. We're being taught a lesson and they had to figure out leaven is sin. Watch out for the sinful practices of these people. It's right there. And they couldn't even see beyond their own selves. Right? Put yourself into the text and say, what would I think if it was me? What would I do if he said that to me? That's you're 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 getting something healthy by putting yourself in there like you're standing there watching what's going on. It, you know, but you're never going to get something healthy if you say, this passage means, and now I'm going to prove it by inserting what I think it means into the passage. That's called I said Jesus. It means inserting your presuppositions into a text exegesis means this text says this, I'm going to draw out what it means from what God has told me. That's okay. So there's a difference between the two. Never insert what you believe into the text. When I start a sermon, I take everything that I think I know about it and I set it all the way over here. I don't even think about it. I All I do is I sit down and I mechanically read the Hebrew and then I mechanically translate each single word and then I make a commentary on it without any presuppositions at all. It's just all mechanical work for the first six or seven hours every single Monday. And then from there, I have to sit down and reread everything that I I wrote down. And sometimes I have to read it eight or nine times. And I keep thinking, what are you telling me, Lord? What are you telling me? And finally, something will come up. I'll say, you know, Sergio, what is this, the meaning of this guy's name? I think it's this but I'm not going to do it unless and so I ask him for one particle at the end of a name and he comes back and he says oh it's this word and I should have known because it's a word that's already been used how many times in scripture I just wasn't thinking on it because it's a shortened form of it okay but I'll tell you the form It's the word is Nua okay it means to quiver or to waver or to you know like that and but at the end of the name it's N-A it's a particle N-A so I, I'm not thinking N-A. What is N-A? Okay. And he came back. It wasn't two seconds. So obviously it's something he knew right off the top of his head. It's not like he made something up. I didn't tell him why I wanted to know. I didn't give him any information about the sermon, but he came back that quickly. And so it's something that all of a sudden it was like a light bulb comes on, but that's what you have to do. And you have to do it as well when you're doing your own studies. Think about what you're reading and ask the Lord, why are you telling me? Don't say, Lord, I see you're telling me this because you're putting your thoughts into the Bible. Anyway, um, uh, where were we? Uh, Their own bread. Um, Let's see here. uh, Angry huff. I read that. Um, Yeah, okay, remember this. The same group of people who he commanded to be withdrawn from in verse 6. Those words were for the people of the congregation who weren't caught up in idle speculation. These words are for those who are caught up in idle speculation. The congregation is to withdraw from you, but you can be brought back into a right relationship with them if you will stop this nonsense. Get to work and earn your own bread. This is still applicable today. We are to withdraw from rapture date setters until they stop their disturbing posts and learn to be productive. They can be brought again into a right relationship with the church. But you're not to hang around with people like that. Don't let them speak in your pulpit. Don't let them infect the minds of other people. That's nonsense, okay? Sound doctrine is actually important. And, you know, Sergio and I were talking at lunch today. He had an idea. And I I, I don't think it's possible because you got lots of good churches out there. But they're geared towards different types of people. Okay, this church here is geared toward you know just getting people saved. They get eight hundred and fifty thousand people saved every single Sunday. It's, and I'm not talking this church. I'm saying I got my hand over here. This church, Church A, gets lots and lots of people saved, but they have really poor doctrine. They they don't get read into the Bible. They don't study the Word. They can't give you all the core doctrines. They just want people to get saved and they want people to be in Jesus. Okay, that's not the focus of the Superior Word it is when we go outside of the church i'm always telling people take tracks and make sure you hand them out right i write a letter i put a track in it oh this is what i want to do i want people to get saved but in the church i want people to have right and proper doctrine okay and so uh his thought was well you know why can't we have a church that has this and this and it doesn't work It it just for some reason it's very hard to get a group of people that want to continue pursuing a particular line within a church without dividing from the rest and the reason why is because all of a sudden you know you got this great doctrine and all of a sudden i don't want to be around people that aren't willing to learn good doctrine right it's not that you hate them it's just that they have a different focus and there's these two things going on in the church that they're not harmonious and uh i've said this before and this is true Churches will divide because people want to stand up during prayer or they want to kneel during prayer. Something so stupid as that. People will divide a church. I'm not going to go to that church anymore. They ask us to stand up when we pray, okay? People get upset over the the craziest little pet peeves, okay? And if they're going to do it over something so basic, they're certainly going to do it over sound doctrine or over getting people saved. We got to do one. We got to do the other. We got to do this at the expense of this. And you'll see this in seminaries too. There's going to be a focus and there's going to be a non-focus. And that seminary is either something that you're going to gear towards or it's, or you go to this one for two years and then you move on to the next. It has a different focus. Okay. It's just the way of the world. And I'm not saying that any is right or wrong. I'm not saying that that church is wrong because they are getting people saved and the superior word isn't really doing that. Okay. The people that come here are saved and they want to know the word. So it's a different approach. And, you know, I'm just not opposed to either. As long as the people, the little doctrine they're teaching is correct. Okay. It may not be deep. It may not be growing, but as long as it's correct, I don't mind people going there. I've got friends that go to churches like that. And that's what they like. And then I gave you the example of my friend in high school, from high school, known her my whole life. And she does not want to ever have any sermon from the old testament. She doesn't want to hear about it. She she just wants to hear about Jesus. That's all she wants to hear about. And I think what a sad approach to scripture. But that's her approach. And she loves the Lord. She's as saved as she was saved before I was, I'm sure. Okay? But that's her approach. As bad as I think that is personally, she's one of my best friends. Okay? I I don't hate her over it. And she I know she thinks he loves to be in the Old Testament. We're all different. Well, she messed
0: up because in the beginning, God I Jesus know it. Said
1: that I'm the creator. I know it. I, I, don't, I don't know how anybody can't get excited about what we do on Sundays, going in and going through passages that I've never heard a sermon on some of these things, ever. You know, I've never heard anybody preach on Deuteronomy. I've, I just haven't heard it. They might cite Deuteronomy, but not to go through it. I was so excited going through there. There were times where I couldn't sleep waiting for the sermon the next day, you know. So, Whatever. Um, And
0: the reason why I ask that question is because, like, those churches that do, like, those gatherings, it's big, they have a lot of people, and it draws other people more convenient, it's easier to go there. But then when something happens because of the shallowness of always drinking milk, not going really deep into the Word, it's easier to leave as well. And it's easier to completely go away from faith, and I'm thinking, that's why, like, they almost need, like, everybody who gets to faith needs to go into a small local church like this that would go deep into the Word.
1: Hopefully they would.
0: Without, because in the Word, there'll be no more
1: <laughs> yeah
0: problems, whatever is facing in life. I mean, there'll be problems, but it's going to be so different. It's so. way
1: different. You know, there are people that email me, and I know that they do not watch the Bible studies, and I know they don't watch the sermons. I know they do watch the prophecy updates. And the way I know this is because they will email me with a problem in their life, or something they heard read on Facebook, or something. And it will be something I've addressed three times in the past month.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And three months later, they'll ask the same question. And there's no way, there's no way that they watch the sermons or attend the Bible studies and ask the questions they ask. And it frustrates me, because they're sitting in a church, they love to watch the prophecy updates, they do it every week faithfully, but they're sitting in a church somewhere where they're hearing things that are not Right. And they email me to answer their theology and that bothers me it just does because there's a point where you have to grow up and say i am going to now want to learn something deeper than what obviously i'm getting right uh, i will tell you there's this one lady after uh, i was ordained over at grace and after we uh you know started the superior word she continued to email me for months constantly asking questions about the bible and finally i said I'll answer that when I see you Sunday morning at church. And I've never heard from her again since then. I just, you know, I I just, I got tired of answering her theological quandaries while she's attending another church and not getting what she needs to know. So she, I'm her default theologian. And finally I said, I'll answer, I'll see you at church on Sunday and I'll answer that question. She never emailed again, nothing. And this is something that used to email me almost every single day never again it's okay you know what I just I' there's a point where you say I'm just not a punching bag I've got people to tend to that really want to know the word and that are willing to whatever I don't everybody's different whatever um let's see here uh, yeah okay they can again be brought back into a right relationship with the church and to bolster his words Paul continues on with the note that the command and exhortation is through his words through our Lord Jesus Christ. Some manuscripts say in instead of through, but the title is where the main focus is. Whether Christ directly gave this command, which he in fact did in Acts 1, 7, and 8, which is what Paul bases his letters on, his two letters to the Thessalonians, is, remember what he said in Acts 1, 7, and 8? He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has kept under his own authority. You get out there and do church work for the next number of years. It may be five minutes. It may be five months. It may be five years. It may be 5,000 months. I don't know how long that is. You know, whatever. We're we're up to 2,000 years right now. That's not your business. Your business is to go and work until the day that my father decides, and until then, keep working. Okay, that's our job. He told them directly, and people still can't learn that lesson. The last words that the Lord said to us before he ascended, the last words. This is your marching orders. Go do it. And they're still, right at the time of Paul until this day, still not doing it. Instead, they're making stuff up and Paul is tired of it. He's miffed. Okay? So, he said um, uh, whether Paul is simply giving it under inspiration as an apostle or if he's referring to what Jesus said, the words are given by the authority of the name of the Lord. And the command and exhortation is that they work in quietness, and eat their own bread. That's, that's what he taught. You work in quietness and eat your own bread. This is what he's commanded and exhorted them, okay? This is what I want you to do with your life. Now, uh, I've said this many, many times. We see this every single Saturday of our lives. It's a different context. It's not rapture date setters. It's people that just are not willing to work, okay? And the problem is not really in them. You know their fathers and their grandfathers wherever they used to work. Okay, they were in a different circumstance, but uh, you know one of the things that if you look at the black families, the photos of the black families from the twenties and thirties, what would you see? You see it in almost every photo of a black family. It's the dad. And what? You see a you'd see a father, and you'd see every one of them with button-down shirts going to church. You would see that every single photo, if you go back and look at old photos of black families, I'm talking about families, you'll see a father and a mother and children. We don't ever see a father and a mother in the projects. And that is one project out of thousands and thousands and thousands of projects throughout America that have been ruined by an ideology that says we will take care of you if you will do absolutely nothing with your life. That is, that is exactly what we see every single week. There are no fathers. They don't know, most of them, they, they may not even know who their father was. Their three or four brothers are all from different fathers. We see this every single week of our life because the government said, don't listen to what Paul says. Don't listen to the Bible, listen to us. And they have ruined an entire culture of people in this country, right? We have that family that comes up here from uh, Cape Coral, or I think that's where, Cape Coral. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There's a father, there's a mother, and there's children. And that family works properly. When you take the father out of the picture, everything devolves from there. And that's what we see. You know, and they started with the blacks, now they've got the Hispanics in there. They've got white people in there that are telling them, don't listen to the Bible. We will take care of you. They have nothing and they're not happy. I can assure you of that. But we see this personally. You get away from what Paul says right there. They are to work in quietness and eat their own bread. When you get away from that model, a father working and tending to the family, the mother raising up the children and the fear and the admonition of the Lord, that family is done. One generation and it is done. Folks, it's time to stop listening to non-biblical things to stop spreading those things and to get to work. At the end of the day, you'll have your pay and you can go buy your own food with it. Stop interrupting the church, stop idly speculating on the day of the rapture, get wisdom, get sound instruction, stand approved before the Lord. All of this and so much more is tied up in Paul's words of this verse right here. There are souls who need to hear about Jesus. And it won't get done while people are watching videos about the rapture that's coming up on friday there are people who see christians watching those videos and who laugh at them each time another date passes by without anything happening and there is the name of the lord which is brought into shame each and every time it occurs that's all that's being done It's just disgracing the name of the lord life application if you see what appears to be a really Interesting looking video about the prophetic timeline pointing to the coming tribulation and the rapture of the church. Don't watch it.
0: When you said this, now, or stuff you said, I was like, this can't be real, like the photos thing. And I looked it up, and I was shocked. One in four children are fatherless in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah, the black community is and 60%, oh way higher sixty percent sixty percent of them are black than thirty Hispanic. That's right. So of
1: think people. of that: one in four children are without a father right. in America. Sixty percent are black, and they're twelve percent of the population, which means that it's like ninety-two percent or something. So
0: it's in the, in the high
1: yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, they have they started, they targeted a race of people in this nation and said, you were oppressed by us, and we're going to fix it, knowing what they were doing. They weren't fixing anything. They knew. You know what? I, I, I can't say the word because they shut down this YouTube channel, but what John, don't say it out loud, what Johnson said about welfare when he signed it, the term he used about those people will be our voters forever. He's not helping anything. They knew exactly what they're doing and they know exactly what they're doing right now with the southern border of the United States. They're bringing in more of them to destroy them as well so that they've got an entire class of people that will vote for them and they will do nothing except throw away their lives. And think think that their dependence on them will be good for them. Yeah, thinking their dependence on the government is good for them. It's the most harmful thing that, you don't believe me, go down to your local projects on Saturday morning and start talking to these people, but be consistent if you're going to do it, because they don't trust anybody in this world. They've gone through generations of this now, since the mid-60s. There is no hope in those people at all. Sergio was out with us one time, and he came out, and he filmed some of us doing some stuff, and you know it, yeah, we'll,
0: the, we'll do a video about it and post it well here one of these you days you
1: do whatever you want but it. I got to tell you I it, he saw you've been out there twice now haven't you yeah twice okay and so you see, you know what's going on down there yeah. there's no hope for these people at all and this is because they don't listen to 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12 that's it. You had and, some,
0: and, and, yeah. And then one more interesting fact looked up because you were saying Paul was uh, upset, and miffed, was writing this. I thought, how old was Paul when he wrote it? Uh, all the research points that he was about 45, 50 years old. Okay, I
1: just thought yeah. it was interesting. Yeah, that's in, because yeah. he's an older guy and he's working.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's already been the minister about twenty years or so. Probably. And so.
1: Yeah, he's just he's fed up with these people. It's only been a short time. He talked to this church about sound doctrine. He left, and there's people coming in and saying, "Oh, here comes Jesus. We don't have to work anymore." it's so sad okay 313 yeah. do we have time let me see if we have time for the comments um 313 uh, we're gonna go quick we can it. do it because this is a yeah. cool one because okay. we
0: know the poll is forty it's been 20 years now and this is actually cool thinking that oh good okay, 13. yeah 13 and as for you brothers and sisters never tire of doing what is good
1: okay but as for you brethren do not grow weary in doing good Okay, they add in sisters there. That's the uh, newer NIV. Uh, okay, the older NIV doesn't do that, but politically correct, they had to start adding in. Now, the word it, female is already inferred in there because he's writing to a congregation, but it was in the masculine. And so instead of doing that, the new NIV, and that's why I don't recommend ever anybody ever buy the new NIV from about 2004 copyright and older it's fine. But after that, they go PC and it's not worth reading. Just take it and uh, tuck it into your, uh, uh, you know, uh, under something that, you know, if you need something lifted up, you know, I've got a book that I have my hand on because I need my hand at a certain height. So I don't get a, you know, anyway, and it's just, that's what the NIV is good for after
0: 2004.
1: The what? Yeah, 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 yeah. You could do that too um okay it would be pretty well marked up though i gotta tell you okay 313 we have a subtle jab at those referenced in the previous two verses here paul has said that he who will not work neither shall he eat he then built upon that pointing out these sluggards and what they should do in verse 12. now he gives a contrast to them with the words but as for you brethren so he's kind of poking at them. He's talking about these people aren't doing anything. He's talking about the people that are being productive. In other words, he's making a distinction between the two. He has cumulatively called all, both hard worker and sluggard, brethren. Quite a few times already. But he has told those who are diligent and industrious to withdraw from every brother who works, walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. That was verse 6. He acknowledges that they are brothers, but now in this verse, he gives them a poke by using the term brethren as applying to those who are not like them. There are brothers, and then there are brothers. The intent here is to convict those who are sitting around watching crazy YouTube videos all day about the rapture and who then pass on this false information to the church to stop doing this to get to work, to be examples of Christ, and to be obedient to his will. Now, I understand that they didn't have YouTube at the time of Paul. Whatever they called it back then, that's what they were doing. They were watching it on their TV, and uh, YouTube came a little later. The rumble. The rumble, were, yeah, they were watching rumble. Uh, bit Bit shoot. Okay, after this direct and convicting opening, he then tells the brethren that they are to not grow weary in doing good. The word translated as weary is used once by Luke and five times by Paul. It gives a sense of fainting. Okay, I've lost my place. Here it is. Paul is exhorting the brethren to not allow anything to interfere with doing good, even exhaustion itself. That sounds like a verse that uh, Tom Alley took and he ran with to the point where he's worn his whole life out. I don't know anybody that's worked as hard as he has in his life as Tom Alley. Since he really got the bug of the Lord, that's a person that has worked himself weary. He couldn't, he is so exhausted from his endeavors for the Lord that he now has to drive through the projects on Saturday and he still goes. So hats off to Tom Halley. Okay, the word translated as doing good is used just this one time in the Bible. It comes from two Greek words which together give the sense of doing good that inspires others to rise up and do what is noble. In other words, be an example. Do good as an example to others, okay? That's help word studies definition. That's not my definition, that's theirs. This exhortation is tied back to the patience of Christ, which is found in verse five. Just as Christ continued in his ministry, never faltering in his work, so we are to likewise act. And we are to do so by inspiring others in the process. The contrast between the sluggardly, rapture, day of the Lord date setters and those who are acting properly is crystal clear. While they are doing nothing of value, wasting time, and harming the walk of others, those who are obedient to the word are productively working, making the best use of the time that they are allotted. And their work is inspiring others onto their noble work as well. This is Paul, fifty-some years old. He's by that time in that culture, it's getting up there, okay. And he's just saying, never tire, just keep on going. And what does he say? Press on. I press on for the upward call of go ahead, verse the prize help. Of the, high the, of God in Jesus. the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Go, go, go. Okay, life application. Are you? A rapture, date-setting sluggard? Or are you a person interested in the whole counsel of God and in sharing your interest in the word with others? Paul has set a distinction between the two. If you are the former, he tells the rest to withdraw from you. If you are the latter, he tells you, others, to emulate you. Which will receive condemnation from the Lord on that day? Which one do you think it is? Hmm, hmm, I wonder which. Just can't even imagine. We'll find out, won't we? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for the chance to come into your presence and to share in this wonderful word. It's so joyous to just share in it, to know that we have directions that keep us out of the projects of the cities of the United States of America and throughout the world, that if we just work hard, if we're just willing to expend ourselves a little bit, we will be okay in the world. And we will be an example of what we should be doing as people that are responsible and help us to stay away from date setters and people that come up with crazy stuff on the internet that isn't productive in any way, shape or form. And Lord, I wanna personally thank you. Uh, It's Mother's Day today for my wife, Hidako. I wanna thank you for her as she celebrates the uh, happy birthday of our son. And we're thankful for him, and I know every person here is thankful for their own families that they have been able to live with and to be a part of and to enjoy as they work their lives out in your presence, their fellowship and their company. We thank you for our families, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: This is awesome. Oh, good. Uh, Sometimes I get tired, and I'm just walking through faith, and starting just tired, and I'm thinking, how... How much longer can this take? And then I'll look at you, I'll look at all the men of faith, I'm thinking, wow, you guys are still in it, you're still walking. In the are you saying of we're falls. old? No, he, no, no. I think he no, just no, put no, us no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is it still I, I, It's still on.
1: I, I, we're uh, going to say goodbye, folks. <laughs> we love you. Take care. All right. <laughs> Let me back this up, Rake. I don't think you're going to hear us.